too many Tic Tacs in the town. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 3.38 starting time. Please welcome from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Matthew Wiley. Play away, please. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if we. That wasn't a great pod, was it? You want to run it back? Golf India two three one two thirty one. Watch the city burn for sure. After last week, oh, last week wasn't so bad at the players, but here we are. Golf landing two thirty one. That was my song of twenty twenty two. Never introduced to that artist before. Mondo Cosmo. That was come on. Come on. Come on, man. Come on, man. Love that segment. <clears throat> Just kidding. Uh, but Golflandia 231, the players wrapped up. The wild week. Scheffler wins again. Boop. Um, who was my pick? Jason Day. Close, but no cigar, my friend. I'm not sure he can win big events like that. He's pretty close. He's playing well, but man, you got to have it all at the players. I didn't think, I didn't think we were going to get in enough sunlight to finish it. Plus the storms on Sunday. And I almost did it again on Twitter. I almost did it again. And I said that, Daylight Savings is going to be the hero this tournament needs so we have more light to finish it out and not on a Monday. And then I just before I hit send, I realized my debacle last year. When someone when I tweeted that and someone said, hey, man, you don't get more sunlight. It's just moved. And my brain was blown because I realized at that moment, humans don't create sunlight. So if there's daylight savings time, it doesn't mean you get an hour more of light. We can't control that by changing the clocks on our oven, which I thought we could. So um, this is golf ball rollback week. If you've been following Twitter and unlike Everything, I don't really have an opinion on this, so I don't know what to say. I'm not in the equipment game. Um, I'm not a golf purist. It seems a little defeatist in terms of what fans may want to see, but I understand it from a core standpoint. I don't know. I, I believe that golf, with the momentum and fandom it has right now, PGA, not not fake golf has at times, including now 
punched itself in the groin when it has momentum. I'm not sure that fits in this category. That's for everyone on Twitter who's an expert on it to debate. But specific examples of how they do it, and I have more, is me getting DMCA'd again on Twitter. And that's the Digital Media Copyright Act. When you share content, the owner of that content, the tour, can request you pull it down. So my Twitter account was suspended. I don't care. I was just I was just showing Jordan Spieth's shot, tee shot in 18 when he hit the guy in the knee, bounced in the fairway, and he made eagle. Which, you know, why is sharing I'm, I'm not monetizing this. I'm not taking views away from you. We're sharing it within our networks, which helps golf. So why are you why why can't we have that fun? Why can't we help do this for free, mind you, like everything else, for free? Defend you against live tour bots for free. Basically destroy their content initiative for free. But yeah, sharing sharing an interesting moment and enjoying the round. Pull that one down, slappy. Right back to 1985. We're going to roll this ball back to 1985. This is our land. We are here to make the players more money, talk about more money, talk about what they want, and fans, you just show up. So, maybe get on Twitter and see what the talk is about. Speaking of which, in terms of content... The cut line show spaces that I did with um, a couple other Jason Rouslin and Keith. God, his name, his last name escapes me, and I'm so terrible with names; it's embarrassing. Um, hang on, I'm not Keith Stewart. I'm sorry, Keith, but he was excellent, and it was spontaneous on my part. But I. Um, I wanted to see because plus two cut was so important. And of course the ESPN broadcasters alike have no clue how to, how to understand how a cut line is coming into play or predict it. And speaking of which Spieth at plus two, he could have ruined everything for us because that Eagle made it even. And that really changed the game because we were, I mean, as it stand, as it stood on th- Friday, it was 64 guys at even, sorry, plus one. Uh, it could have very, very easily been plus one. But the cut is the most fun I've had in content in a while, maybe ever. I mean, there were 400 people for two hours listening to the spaces. Why? Why PGA Tour? pulling down content from your best endorsers on Twitter. Why? Why is that? Why is that we were as engaged watching silence of broadcasting? Aaron Badley trying to make a cut. Or miss it. Because we wanted plus two. We had Thomas down there. We had Tom Kim down there. That's big ownership. That we need. So it was as exhilarating watching Ben Martin 
It wasn't exhilarating. It was painful. Him making that putt on eight to not to get to plus one and move the line further. But we got it there. We got the cut to plus two, and it was very close. I mean, Data Golf, who is a very good resource, and sort of the bit here is that I'm trying to compete with computers, but you've got to really watch the players hole by hole to understand what the odds are here realistically about a cut line. Like, I think they had it 96 or 98-2 with Cole in the fairway at 18. He hits birdie. It's over. It's plus one. So I didn't, I would, I mean, I was saying to Jason during the broadcast, I think it's more like 40, 60 at this point. He could birdie. But we got it. But, you know, the broadcast, my God, they have no clue how to, I mean, they adjusted Thomas was at plus two and they said he needs to make a few more birdies coming in or plus three, make a few more birdies coming in to make the cut. <clears throat> With the implication it was even. I mean, it wasn't even close to even. But that's just understanding that they don't understand the audience, a large segment of it, and what they want to see. I mean, neither do the players understand. And this is not a flex. Well, maybe it is. Maybe I said this last week. But, you know, I've had star pro golfers playing the tournament after Friday Ask me what the cut's going to be, which is insane. Um, but the broadcast, I mean, the, the silent broadcast when you have, when you're just watching the pairings or the groupings with no, you know, talking heads is fantastic. And you don't necessarily always have to have the stars at all times. We like the competition. It's, it's, we like the stars, of course, because they play amazing golf, but not, not necessarily that. And it's a pretty quiet game. You know, there's a lot of drama in the silence in golf. And you don't always need to fill airtime, American broadcasters, with words. And that's what I put in a tweet because the, the, the broadcast has become largely almost unbearable. It's just four or five people talking over each other when, you know, the silence of hearing Tommy Fleetwood or Aaron Badley, who's trying to make a career here, talk to his caddy and you can just see the anxiety in him as he doesn't want to melt away beyond plus two, that that's really interesting content. Or hearing what the players have to say to each other after a tee shot. And I said in Twitter, American golf broadcasts and broadcasters need to realize that their small talk, which is a lot of now, their anecdotes, their lame jokes in between, during and after shots, completely smothers the drama and intensity of silence. It doesn't mean it needs to go away. But follow the British model. They go shot by shot. They don't hang around and talk about what someone, you know, had for lunch or, you know, whether a guy's thighs are big or whether he likes basketball. They just set up a shot and there's the shot. Watching golfers in silence in big moments is fantastic TV. And there's a lot of broadcasters who do it well. Vern Lundquist. 
Um, Vince Scully. <laughs> he can't do it anymore. But the assumption that we want to hear their voice or their stories or that they had a taco lunch, and that is more interesting than what the narrative going on that we can create ourselves or we've already created for ourselves. I mean, the plus two cut, there was not anything else needed to be said. We were as stressed as possible trying to get there. So it's just not that they have to go away. And I understand the job of broadcasting is very hard, but less is more. That's it. But, you know, it's just a, it's just a, it's confusing as to why the PGA Tour still doesn't understand fully, they're getting better, but fully, the, the needs and of its audience and what it wants. I mean, if the, the, proving the Live Tour not to be successful at all and no one watching it should be a case and point for the PGA Tour as to what fans want, Right? Not always about watching stars. It's about traditional courses, traditional competition, and the chase for both superstars and people who want to be superstars. That's it. So you have this momentum. You've got great ratings now. You've got a lot of people on board and on your side. Don't punch yourself in the nuts. Like removing the Keith Mitchell video, which was hilarious. DMCAing everyone, rolling the ball back. I'll asterisk that. I don't know if it's good or bad. Butchering cut lines. And then giving us CEO interviews. I know you have to do it from a from a financial standpoint, but integrate that integrate that CEO more into the content. Have them take a I'm having tea up on a par three or something. I don't know. The drama's there. Nothing needs to be said as much. Well, this is the way we've always done it. Well, yes, when there was no other content to watch. I was. I heard a podcast, I think, with Bill Maher and Jay Leno. And, you know, a lot of these old talk show hosts bemoan that it isn't the way it used to be. Well, you know why? Because there was still the thirst for content as much as it is today. But you were the gatekeeper of it. You had billions of people trying to peek through a keyhole and you were in front of the keyhole. It didn't make you fantastic at what you did. And frankly, a lot of these talk show hosts would never have jobs in 2023 but you were fortunate enough to be in front of the the light that people wanted to see. Today, today, you can't have the same style of broadcast because you're not competing with what's on at 8 p.m. or 4 p.m. or 1 p.m. Eastern time, not mountain. You're competing with every piece of content ever made. Ever. TV, movie, podcast, <clears throat> barstool sports, things you see in your Twitter feed. You are competing for attention with everything ever created. 
That's why it'll never be the same. That's why you can't be the same. And we don't need and the, the, the live to approve this. And this is the last time I talk about live. We don't necessarily need constant access to stars. I mean, look at those careers. They're dust. Why? It doesn't create the same drama and tension that the PGA Tour in its authentic competition does. Those guys are prepaid. These Chad Ramey, Minwoo Lee, they're chasing careers. Aaron Badley wants to stay on tour. So I don't we don't need more access to those stars necessarily all the time. And we certainly don't need access to hosts talking about things we already understand better than them. We we see them all the time. Instagram, Twitter, on the broadcast. And it's frustrating when we know more about the game than they do. And they're sort of interfering with what we want to see and hear. The, the, like even in full swing, that's kind of why it was a meh. Okay. Yay. Rich guys on a plane. Are you interesting? Brooks Kepka was interesting. But are, are half of these golfers interesting? Like you just throw an ex-athlete on a broadcast or in an interview. Okay, what's it going to do? This is the day and age of competing with every piece of content ever made. You better be fucking interesting. Like why do the Oscars suck now? No one, you don't think we see these people all the time? None of them are interesting in real life. Yeah, they create fantastic movies some of the time, but who cares? So, just because you have stars on camera doesn't make it good content, and just because you have a broadcaster doesn't mean what they say is informative, interesting, funny, or relevant. And largely it interferes. And I know it's not easy, but less is more. It's like, it's like, you know, marketing is the one thing that everyone believes they can just do. I can be creative. I can do, I can do design and commercials and tell people how to run a business. Okay. I can start a podcast or a Twitter account and everyone's going to listen to me. Okay. Go. <laughs> do people want to hear you? You'll find out. Twitter's the ultimate Arbitrator of whether or not people think you're interesting or a giant douche. And that's that. I can't just walk into UK hospital here and say, oh, I'm going to be a surgeon today. I'm a surgeon. I'm going to cut you open. That hurt. All right, last week was a dud with you heard it here first. But this week's the Valspar. And you heard it here first segment is me giving one pick, and this is mine. And so don't say, don't text me and say, oh, you're gone cold. This ain't a service, bud. I'm not here to give you picks. 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 It's not a pick service. You don't pay for it. This is just me spouting thoughts. Do what you want. That's been the narrative for six years. 231 episodes of this 
mess. <coughs> Joking. Who was I talking to on Twitter? Speaking of mess, this podcast being a mess. And we just completely agreed with each other. Because he said something in a tweet that he hates every piece. Chris Powers, that's right. Golf Digest. He's like, he hates every piece of content he's ever written. And he wants to die. (laughs) I just say, I hate everything I've ever said, written, or done. (laughs) It's the truth. I've never listened to one of these. This is not false humility. I can't stand it. Just, ugh. Nails on a chalkboard. But, but, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. You heard it here first. Brought to you by Grant Thornton. Grant Thornton. Grant does all the work. Thornton's a slob. I'm sorry, I had to say it. My NDA is, you know, pretty loose, so that's it. Thornton is a slacker. He's a slacker. He's gutless. Grant gets there at 7.30. He's doing all the typing. Thornton's boozing. Nathan. They loved that you delivered a Twitter. Oh, sorry, a Red Bull last week. They actually sent a photo and said, am I doing it right with the Red Bull? It's such a, it's such a fantastic drink. And he left the – Nathan, he's, just, he's the one who says too many Tic Tacs in the town, which my kids say all the time now. My, my youngest daughter listens to this podcast, sadly, to go to sleep. <clears throat> so I better watch my potty mouth, Kate. But she'll wake up and she goes, too many Tic Tacs in the town. Why does Mr. Nathan say that? Um, so this week is the Valspar. This week is the Valspar. And let me get my notes out. This course is, it's just, you know, it's the final final cherry on top on the Florida Carnage swing, and it may be the toughest. Uh, it's it's so much not like a Florida course, you know, tree-lined park, park landedness. Um. A lot of elevation changes, very narrow fairways. Uh, the greens are really small, and they're difficult to read. More on that in a second. Lowest average feet made of putts on tour. What does that mean? Meaning that no one hits bombs. So everyone is two-putting and tapping it in for par or bogey. So very heavily bunkered, challenging rough. You've got to score on the par fives, which Sam Burns does. Uh, especially when it was soft when he won here two years ago. He won here last year as well. But he demolished them. Less than driver off the tee on many of the par fours, and you hear the snake pit a lot, but it's one of the most challenging closing stretches in golf. Um, And to add to that, water on many holes on the back nine. It's fast, it's firm, it's rough. Benon said today, you want to you challenge players? Grow the rough, narrow the fairways, firm up the greens. Well, here we are. And with windy conditions, make this one of the toughest stops on tour. 
Paul Casey, Paul Casey, before his retirement uh, from professional golf, compared the greens to Augusta in slope and difficulty to read. He won, I think, twice, and he loves it here. And he does well at Augusta early. A couple years ago, he was like minus eight <laughs> through 10 holes, and we thought, over, ball game, Casey. Um, some Augusta Green comps to validate that Charles Reed, Casey, Cantlay, Spieth, Tiger, Louie, all great putters, all have done well here. So, inform iron players, more decision-making, tee to green, accurate drivers, move ball both ways, and can, um, can putt. So what does that mean? I have no goddamn idea. Let me grab a drink. Oh, now I do. So if we look at projections this week... Brought to you by Grant Thornton and Pizza Hut. When there's nothing left to eat, make a run for the hut. Highest projected ownership, Justin Thomas. Yes, agree with that. Justin Suh. Yes, I've seen Shank a lot. I've seen Woodland a lot. Um, Wendell, Wyndham Clark a lot. But Suh, for sure. I'm not sure Thomas will top it out based on what we saw last week from him. And he was awful. He could be a flop lag candidate and straighten it out this week, but he was awful down the stretch. Um, I like Hadwin. <clears throat> Jordan Speed 20%. Yeah, it's probably going to come in there. People like Davis Riley heard a lot of him. The Woos, Brandon and Dylan, not related. Gary Woodland, a lot of he's ten percent. I bet he'll be up above that. And there's and there's some guys that you know if you have a big name lineup with like a Fitz or a Spieth or a Thomas, and even with a Hadwin, then you're going to have to dip down likely into the high sixes or mid sixes. And you know, is Luke Donald worth gambling on? I think so. He won here. He's having a decent year. He's making cuts, and he's one of the best putters ever. Ball striking always been a question mark, but uh, that guy can get around a golf course with his wedge game and putting for sure. Dylan Wu, like it. Zach Johnson, I got to be suicidal with that one. That one's crazy to even think about, Matthew. But here we go. Here's here's what I'm thinking. Before I say that, some of the some of the sort of price per per output. Tyler Duncan heard some of him. He's a decent ball striker. Jaeger, he's playing well. Mark Hubbard is a is is a is a quote sneaky pick this week, and his ownership will rise up. I watched him with Gary Woodland, who also looked terrible on Sunday, albeit a very tough course. But man, Gary can't putt. I mean, he's getting better, but man, he can't putt. And Hubbard just explodes, implodes sometimes. I'm not, I'm not selling. I'm not buying Mark Hubbard. TBQH. But here's a name: if you really want to get sporty, if you really want to do something silly, 
and looked for a name in the low sixes. And he was an alternate who made it in. I forget who's out, but he made it in. Is Hank the Bod Lebiota. That guy can do a bit of everything. I remember Josh Teeter saying, when I asked him, I said, who's the most talented guy you see in the Corn Ferry Tour? And he said, Lebiota. And he went cold for a little while, but man, when he was, he was on a heater. Can putt. I think he's a lefty. I like him. The winner, though, and you heard it here first. You heard it here first. The winner this week is Spieth. You heard it here first. Jordan Spieth wins the Valspar this week. And here's why. He's playing great. And I think this is a great primer to him top fiving or potentially winning the Masters. That's that. That is that. That's a podcast. That is a podcast. Until next week, I think it's Punta Cana in the in the match play. Rainmakers, folks. Somehow I floated up to being number one franchise score. Do I have any advice? Eh, we'll see the fields. We'll see the fields, but I'm trying to beat you. You dum-dums. So, good luck. Good luck.